हेलो फेलो ऑफ्टॉलमोलॉजिस्ट वेलकम टू ऑफ्टॉलमोलॉजी एंड बियॉन्ड द एमओएस पॉडकास्ट सीजन टू वी हैव अ न्यू टीम ऑफ एमओएस हेडेड बाय प्रेसिडेंट डॉक्टर संतोष भिड़े सेक्रेटरी डॉक्टर अनगा हिरूर ट्रेजरर डॉक्टर विवेक मोतेवार एंड चेयरमैन साइंटिफिक कमिटी डॉक्टर वर्धमान कांकरिया This podcast series is produced by Dr. Mandar Paranspe. Welcome to episode one, season two of Ophthalmology and Beyond, the MOS podcast. And since we are recording this episode during Diwali, the festival of lights, we wish all our listeners a very happy and joyful Diwali. The subject for this episode is unique. counseling is a special way of communication through which we not only convey facts about disease its treatment and prognosis but also help reduce anxiety and alleviate fear from the minds of patients and relatives we clinicians do it knowingly but mostly unknowingly throughout our careers in fact apart from our clinical skills this is the most important faculty which decides in a way the success or failure of us as practitioners or clinicians yet how many amongst us know that counseling is a specialized subject at the postgraduate level our guest for this episode is one such clinician ophthalmologist who has recently done his masters in counseling from mumbai university I welcome Dr. Mayur Morekar to this special podcast episode. Before we begin, Mayur, can you tell us about yourself? What is your primary area of work, and where do you work? Thanks, Mandar. Thanks, Dr. Mandar, for having me here today. And uh, I would wish all the listeners a very happy Diwali. Uh, thanks uh, to mos for giving me this opportunity and that too on uh, a diwali morning in the diwali week uh, so i am dr mayur morekar and uh, i am an ophthalmologist by profession uh, i have done my fellowship in uveitis uh, ocular inflammation and immunology and neuro ophthalmology from lb prasada institute hyderabad after an excellent residency training i would believe it was one of the best residencies that anybody could have had at uh, our own uh, lokmanya tilak municipal medical college that is sain hospital so <laughs> that is where uh, i come from and uh, apart from that Uh, as a practicing ocular inflammation specialist i felt the need to do courses in counseling so i have done totally three courses in counseling two of them being from heart to heart counseling center under dr meenu bhosle and dr rajan bhosle and then the masters uh, in counseling uh, psychology which was from mumbai 
and uh, it was actually a long distance course the mumbai was the divisional board uh, the regional center and uh, the long distance course was from uh, igno new delhi so i think that suffices uh, for an introduction i think mandar do you want to know anything more than this yes we will we will explore uh, some few other aspects uh, of uh, yourself as we go along but we are indeed extremely delighted to have you on this episode so uh, my first question up front would be as an ophthalmologist as a clinician what was your motivation to do uh, a course in counseling a masters course in counseling so actually mandar this is a dual motivation uh, i actually had joined mbbs because i wanted to be a psychologist and uh, uh back then as a 17 year old i had thought that the way one could be a psychologist would be to do a, to be a doctor first and then do uh md in psychiatry but after my internship in fact during my internship i realized that uh, i wanted to be associated with the psychological medicine as a psychologist and not as a psychiatrist uh i of course had an interest in ophthalmology as a you know subject so i pursued ophthalmology and uh, while doing ophthalmology the first thing that struck me in the ward was that we were dealing with uh, the elderly population cataract being a disease of the elderly we were mostly dealing with the geriatric population and uh, that is when i first had thought that uh, one should have a few more skills than what the mbbs courses afford to us while dealing with these patients after that while pursuing uh, my fellowship at lv prasada institute uh, i came across uh, two excellent mentors dr virender sangwan and uh, dr avinash patange and anybody who knows dr virender sangwan would know that he is more like a chalta phirta counselor for any and everyone at lv prasad so i was extremely motivated by him and the way that he would counsel patients i felt that patients felt extremely solaced and touched by their interactions with him and that is where i realized that uh, probably if one wanted to practice as an ocular inflammation specialist dealing with chronic uh, patients one needed to have the skills of a counselor i came back to mumbai and i was pursuing uh, uh, my uh, practice at bombay hospital uh, and that is when i searched for and came across dr meenu bhosle and rajan bhosle and did the first courses in counseling and they were basically because i felt that uh, as a inflammation specialist one needed a little more than what uh, we are taught from our books when dealing with real life patients because i realized that they had issues which were really not described in our ubi test books mm. right so it was that the grain for uh, counseling probably was there in you somewhere and uh you explored it and uh, took it to a next level uh counseling i feel is uh 
it's an important aspect it's a way of communication and uh, which is often underrated in the relationship that we have with our patients uh, we have stories of the yore where doctors uh, had this paternalistic attitude the no all be all attitude and there was nothing beyond uh, what the doctor said or did but now things have changed uh, now patients or people at large also have access to information and uh, therefore uh, the the relationship between a doctor and a patient should be more of the nature of a therapeutic alliance between us and the patients and also the family members so uh, my first real point is uh, how important is the art of counseling for us clinicians uh i would put it this way that uh, the art of counseling would be one of the most important uh, aspects because one needs to understand here that uh, we are not dealing with uh, diseases and uh, you know human beings as they would appear in textbooks each of these disease entities whether they are autoimmune or whether they are infectious would interact in a different way with each human being and uh, each human being being different uh, <clears throat> we would have uh, a different way in that in, in which that human being will uh, present with symptoms yeah. essentially one needs to understand that the symptoms that the human being would give would depend on his own setup and that setup would be different for different people and hence one would have different ways in which the disease would uh, manifest in different individuals and hence that aspect needs to be taken care of in the sense that uh, one would believe that one would require a little more interaction then with the physicality of the issue the psychological aspect would be important and uh, the psychological aspect can be touched upon uh, by having counseling skills and that is why it is very important that uh, as clinicians all of us have counseling skills and as clinicians all of us uh, understand the psychological aspects that a disease would have so now uh, there are two situations broadly speaking that we deal with one is the short term treatment like uh, something like a cataract or a refractive error mm. and then there are those chronic diseases complex situations which we have to deal with and address so uh, i believe that uh, while dealing with uh, the short term uh, situations probably you need a very basic kind of a counseling skills but now we will try to uh, address the more important the complex situations that we often face and uh, that will be the basis on which we will have this conversation uh, when yes. you uh, yeah so when you have uh, a patient in front of you uh, where uh something like a chronic uh, uveitic disease a complex retina case or even for that matter 
very advanced glaucoma uh, there is a conflict that is happening between uh, in his mind in the patient's mind when you are telling uh, him or her what is the nature of the uh, disease that you are dealing with and uh, uh, you have to as a clinician gauge uh that kind of uh, reaction or that conflict which you uh, uh, said earlier and it is a very uh, individual personalized way in which each patient accepts or rejects uh whatever has been told to them so how do you address this particular aspect this psychological conflict uh, that the patient has uh, regarding the disease at hand so basically these would be addressed to by two two uh, broad uh, ideas the first idea would be uh, the skis and the second idea would be the techniques the skills basically are the skills that any counselor should have or any clinician should have and uh, probably the three most important skills are uh, respect empathy and the art of listening mm. uh most of us would like to believe and i'm sure most of us do even uh, uh, actually in real life respect our patients but uh, respect in the sense of counseling is uh, basically an unconditional acceptance of the patient mm -hmm. so uh, when we in a counseling parlance say that i respect a particular patient it would mean that i would unconditionally accept the patient for all that he or she may say or do uh so the other aspects of it the social aspects of the it the socio economic aspects of this all kept apart uh if we are able to unconditionally accept a patient say if we have a farmer uh and uh, as against that we have uh, somebody like a top notch uh, boss from a corporate office we should be able to unconditionally accept both these patients for who they are that would be the first thing the second aspect of it is empathy empathy is something that is different from sympathy when i say uh, i sympathize with you uh, then i would mean that uh, i understand you and uh, in that sense i would have nothing to offer to you more than my understanding or my sympathies to you but uh, when i say i empathize with you it in effect means that i am able to see the problem as you are seeing it mm. so a particular patient uh, of uveitis may say that uh, you may want to start this treatment after you have all your investigations but right now i am not able to see so what can we do about that empathy would mean that a clinician would be able to exactly understand where the patient is coming from exactly feel the problem from the patient's point of view 
from being in the shoes of the patient and being able to address the problem and the third most important aspect about it is listening so listening is something that is very important while listening we are not only listening to what the person is saying but we are also listening to what the person is not saying in fact 85% of the communication uh, between any two individuals is non verbal so while the patient is sitting there and narrating your uh, uh, narrating his story to you it may be very pertinent that we actually sit and observe the patient and try to pick up all the non verbal cues that the patient would be uh, throwing at us so these are the three skills respect empathy and uh, the capacity to listen and then there are of course techniques which uh, a counselor can employ uh, which uh, we can probably elaborate a little further on as we go through this uh, podcast sure but uh, these are the three basic skills that anybody would have should have to be able to address this issue right so now the other aspect of this is uh, we as clinicians uh, uh, when we tell a diagnosis a serious diagnosis to the patient a diagnosis which threatens the vision potentially of the patient uh, what are the ways in which or what is the language or what are the techniques that we should keep in mind and use while uh, declaring such grave uh, diagnosis or grave prognosis to other patient and the relations so uh, i am very happy that you added and the relations at the end of it uh, personally uh, whenever i am giving a diagnosis which is grave and mind you i would consider a diagnosis of uveitis to also be reasonably grave because it uh, entails a chronic treatment uh i would believe that it is most important to have the close relations of the patient uh, mm-hmm. present in that room at that moment mm-hmm. uh that is one aspect that uh, one should understand probably the more important aspect is uh understanding your own psychological makeup mm-hmm. as to how much you are comfortable giving that diagnosis and how much comfortable you are treating that disease mm-hmm. okay and the second aspect of it is the psychological makeup of the individual announcing a chronic disease can be extremely difficult and one needs to keep in mind not only your own psychological makeup but that of the patients and even those of the relatives around you again here i would say there are two aspects one is the aspect of evidence and the other is the aspect of uh, psychology by aspect of evidence i mean what are the investigations that you have in front of you and on what basis what scientific basis are you uh, going to uh, give your diagnosis because 
most times people do not want to have uh, diagnoses of chronic diseases most times people do not have to want to have the diagnosis of uh, uh, infectious diseases say in our society one does not want to be uh, you know faced with a diagnosis of tuberculosis mm. so the evidence aspect of it would be if i am going to declare to a patient that uh, you have uh, tuberculosis then i should have all the evidence to prove that to the patient at that particular point of time second is one should be completely sure of what is going to be the treatment as soon as i am as a patient faced with the diagnosis the next thing i would want to know is how is the treatment going to be because i feel that if we are able to in a stop in a sort of a step ladder fashion or a geometrical fashion able to give the patient the treatment it would give the patient a lot of solace to understand that my doctor understands the diagnosis and he has a treatment plan so it would be best to have a treatment plan again most times one would observe that the patient is would want to go towards the end of the treatment plan as in ye nahi chala ye nahi chala ye nahi chala to kya hmm. at that point of time it would be very important to bring the patient back to square one and say that 99 times it is the basic treatment that works and so it would make sense that we start on with the basic treatment see how it works hmm. and go ahead another aspect of treatment of chronic diseases when we are giving the diagnosis is that patients would want to know for what duration the treatment would go on patient would want to know what are the uh, possible side effects here i would suggest that one needs to be upfront one needs to be uh, very sure that one emphasizes but at the same time does not over emphasize the chronicity of the disease hmm. and that one makes the patient and the relative aware of the duration of treatment hmm. there is one thing that i believe in is that all of us individuals have a basic intelligence hmm. and all of us give vibes to each other if i am being sincere and truthful about a particular thing it will come across to the patient and if i am you know sort of trying to hide some information an intelligent patient who may even be a farmer by occupation will get the vibe so mm-hmm. if there is a particular aspect of it that you don't know about at that particular point of time it may be a good idea to say that we are not aware of this aspect at this particular point of time at the same time add that at this particular point of time you do not fall into that realm right now it is this part that we need to concentrate upon mm-hmm. so i think that is uh, the essence many times when we are giving uh, diagnoses like uh, 
uh, you know a lymphoma or something hmm. it may not be uh, you know it may not be a good idea throwing the word cancer directly hmm. but when we have to use the word like a cancer or something we should also bring the patient abreast to the fact that current treatment modalities are there that most patients would lead an almost normal life hmm. so when you are going to in that counseling session where you are going to give the diagnosis of a chronic disease that entire session should be an extremely educative session where you in a sense transfer all the relevant educative material to the patient and the relatives believing in their intelligence to understand what you are saying hmm. and then it will be much easier for them to accept the diagnosis and uh, go ahead with treatment one aspect of this that uh, many times i allude to is that in uveitis diseases can be limited diseases evolving diseases and evolved diseases most mm. times patients are looking at positive investigations in the blood or elsewhere in the body mm. and they are extremely uh, distressed with the fact that no investigations are coming positive so they have this feeling that there is something unknown that's hidden and that is something that we are not able to find out just mm. making them aware educating them about the fact that diseases can be limited and that therefore you may not have any of the blood antibodies or parameters positive just gives them completely the feeling that now they don't want anything to come positive so a patient who may come who may have come to the clinic distressed that my doctors are not able to give me a diagnosis because there are no blood investigations positive would go out of the clinic with the understanding that i have a limited disease and therefore there are no investigations coming positive uh hence it's a good thing that investigations are not coming positive would be a much happier and a much less distressed patient so i think education is the most important part so when you are breaking the diagnosis of a chronic disease one should be one should have the complete backup educative material about why you are saying this is a diagnosis what is going to be the treatment how do most patients behave so that session has to be a relatively long session you can one cannot just give a diagnosis and then end the consultation i would say that okay now one downside of uh, the counseling uh, is that uh, today we are living in an information overload age and the patients have access to all the relevant information at the tip of their fingers and uh, we know that this tends to bring in a certain amount of i wouldn't say mistrust but there is always this aspect of patients seeking a second third fourth fifth opinion and they are free to do that but my question here is should we lay down all the cards at the first uh, uh, visit or maybe a couple of visits down the line after the diagnosis is confirmed or should we sort of reveal it in a step wise fashion be more diplomatic what would you say 
and this is because so again, we want to uh, yeah so this is because we don't want to generate that fear in the mind of the patient because as soon as you declare something very serious obviously they are they are, they are going to seek multiple opinions and they are entitled to it but then ultimately you want these patients to come back to you to give them the best kind of service yeah yeah so uh, so see this is this this is one aspect a patient who uh, and most patients do that uh, most uh, searching the internet for information and that and then coming to you is uh, an extremely relevant issue uh, most times uh, again what i would believe is that one needs to gauge what sort of a patient you have in front of you uh, there in in the first visit if one has a feeling that a particular patient is going to search the net and uh, is going to do a lot of reading up on his or her own then it may even be uh, relevant that Uh, we make the patient aware of how that habit would uh, not be uh, you know productive or may even be counterproductive to their treatment mm. uh, i would give this example of uh, this immunomodulator drug called uh, methotrexate which we use very often even in pediatric uveitis even in adult uveitis Oh. and uh, methotrexate uh, as we all know is uh, also an anti cancer drug and uh, in the initial part of my practice i had one or two patients who i had written the prescription informed them about the effects informed them about the side effects but never told them that uh, this is also an anti cancer drug and these patients would call me the same evening or the next day to ask me if it was an anti cancer drug and that would be on the phone and if i would on the phone say yes the next obvious question would be then do i have a cancer mm. and if the answer is no then they would say then why am i being giving this drug so that aspect of it uh, i sorted out by upfront in the first uh, counseling session when i am writing methotrexate telling that uh, this if you will search the net or if you ask a neighborhood uh, uh, chemist will tell you that it's an anti cancer drug and yes it is even used in the treatment of cancer but it is at a much higher dose and for uveitis we are using it at a much lesser dose then that patient would get allayed such patients i would in fact encourage them to go and read i would tell them that i would want you to go and research about your disease but i would request them to get back to me if interested for relevant material and i would even tell them that uh, if they come across some side effect of a medication or if they come across some potential complication of the disease they should get back to me for uh, clarifications most times most patients when they become aware of the fact that 
as clinicians we are not averse to their habit of uh, reading up from google would actually stop doing that in my experience they would stop doing that and hand it over uh, hand over the treatment to you some of them would still continue mm. and uh, come up with questions which are extremely distressing to them and then i would use this little psychological uh, counseling technique to make it obvious to them how their own self reading habit mm. is affecting and is counterproductive to their own treatment mm. and then make them aware that this is not helping their cause and uh, you know try to then dissuade them from uh, you know over reading into mm. this as far as the aspect of taking second opinion is concerned i have always in the first visit or the second visit when i am when i am declaring the chronic nature of the disease i give them the choice of taking a second opinion because i tell them that i empathize with you that you have uh, this chronic disease and you may want to take second opinions hmm. and so you are completely free to do that and uh, if required then i can even talk to the uh, doctor whom you may wish to take a second opinion from most times that would be enough for it would be enough for them to believe that uh, the doctor is being upfront mm. and even if then they do take second opinions i would believe that uh, they would uh, you know come back to us to continue treatment with us Hmm. Hmm. So this is very important that you have to acknowledge that patient has equal right to uh, know uh, about their disease. They have the right to read about their disease, about the treatment. But then we have to be uh, we have to give the time to patient uh, to answer all the questions that they have in mind out of the reading that they do. And uh, obviously, uh, you are not the be all and end all of everything. So. Uh, here the question of personal ego has to be kept aside and uh, in fact i would say that uh, particularly in difficult situations a second opinion is always better in uh, in in fact guiding us individuals as, as far as the treatment part may, is concerned sometimes we may not we may overlook something and uh, patient may come back with uh, some new information which probably we missed and help us in treating these patients in a better way uh absolutely yeah absolutely see here i would like to make uh, one more uh, one more uh, comment see when we are ourselves encouraging our patients to read up a bit or take a second opinion or uh, go back to their own physicians and inform them about their uh, uh, diseases we are in fact being empathic empathic we are putting ourselves in their shoes and understanding the situation from their point of view that would definitely transfer the vibe to them that uh, we understand them hmm. for what they are and how they would feel and many a time i use this sentence that i understand what you feel about this and i even add that you need to understand what i feel about this so hmm. if you 
are having some information that uh, you have from somewhere else and want to clarify it, then it may make sense that you ask me that thing upfront rather oh. than not asking me that and keeping that at the back of your mind and being, uh, you know, being, uh, being, yeah, I mean, uh, in a situation where it is not helping you. For right. example, someone may have read somewhere that steroids are uh, uh, not the best drugs to have. If the oh. patient upfront comes and asks me that I have read over here that steroids are not good, hmm. then why are you giving it to me? It may it may be a more useful conversation there at that time rather than the patient reading about it and then trying to bring down the doses on his or her own. So I believe it is always better to, you know, uh, really respect the patient's uh, right, obviously, to have a second opinion or to read up about his or her own disease, but do the entire thing in a more educated way. Right. Okay. Now, there is one specific technique uh, uh, called the Rational Emotive Behavior Therapy, REBT. Uh, yeah. What can you tell us about uh, this uh, technique? So, REBT is a technique uh, that is extremely close uh, to my heart. Uh, it is a technique which is often used by counselors for counseling. And uh, uh, I would believe that uh, in my opinion, it is one of the best techniques to counsel. Using this technique, one can counsel not only chronic patients, one can counsel uh, depressed people, one can counsel drug addicts, one can counsel uh, people with delinquent behaviors and the entire range. <clears throat> Basically, RBT is what is called a cognitive behavior therapy. Mm. So breaking up these three words, therapy is obviously a form of treatment. We understand that. Cognitin, co cognitive is basically uh, there to represent cognitions. Cognitions are our own thoughts. Mm. And behavior is our behaviors. So it stands on the premise that our behaviors are because of our thoughts. Hmm. And uh, REBT is uh, based on this model, which is called the ABC model. Hmm. Actually, it's ABCDEF, but for the basic thing, it is the ABC model. And the ABC model is something that everybody should know, I believe. Uh, in fact, uh, in our understanding of uh, chronic diseases, uh, we have many times say, said that it may be pertinent that we teach our patients the ABC model. So the ABC model, A stand, stands for the activating event, B stands for our beliefs, and C stands for, for the consequence. So uh, getting it back, to our ophthalmology perspective, uh, putting the ABC model over there, one would understand that the consequence would not depend on the activating event. It would depend upon the belief that we have about the activating event. 
so uh, you know a particular teacher uh, punishing two students both the students would react in a different way the activating mm. event would be the same the mm. teacher scolding or the teacher punishing but the consequence c would be different in two different students a particular student would uh, if uh, pulled up for uh, uh, not having uh, come uh, in clean clothes to the school would next day come with cleaned irons clothes mm. and a particular student may not come to school altogether the next day so one would want to believe that the c consequence would not depend upon the a activating event it would depend upon the b the belief that we have about the activating event the first student may believe that whatever the teacher has said or done is for his or her own good would then turn around the second student may believe that because the way the teacher admonished him or her in front of the class his entire status in the class is now gone off gone away and so it would not be a very good thing to face his peer the next day would not come to school the next day mm. so basically each consequence or each behavior does not depend upon the activating event it depends upon our belief that we have about activating events so if a particular patient is given say a diagnosis of uveitis mm. what the patient or say a cancer what the patient believes about that disease will by and large give rise to a different consequence in different patients so this makes things simple for us because the activating events are events that have already occurred we can't change them so mm. if the patient has a disease the patient has a disease we cannot change that part but definitely we can change what the patient believes about that disease mm. and in that sense we can change the consequence mm. that would benefit in that particular patient so rebt is something which is very active directive active directive in the sense it is a sort of a, 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 a cognitive behavior therapy in which the counselor is very actively engaging with the client and here the clinician would be very actively engaging with the patient to try to change to constantly try to change the belief of the patient so the more we keep remembering that our consequences or our behaviors are not because of activating events it is because of beliefs that we have regarding those activating events the more our consequences uh, will get uh, tailored and become more uh, productive yeah. so rebt is that technique in which we use the d d is disputation mm. so disputation is a technique where we constantly use various techniques to challenge the beliefs mm. and to change them so that we get e which is the new effective thinking so a b c d e mm. in rebt 
stands for the activating event, the belief regarding the activating event, the consequence C, which can be changed using a technique called disputation, that is D, to give rise to an effective new thinking, that is E. Hmm. So C can be changed with to E, a bad C, a bad consequence, a bad behavior, okay, or an unacceptable behavior. C can be changed to an effective new behavior or an effective new way of thinking using a technique called disputation D to change the belief B regarding activating event A. Yeah, that's so that that's, is basically the premise of yeah that's quite a quite a bit of information to digest but again I, as i gather from this uh, there is this preconditioned mind that everybody has preconditioned notions of uh, various things and probably that has a role to play in in the way we deal with uh, such patients or our patients for that matter yes 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 so uh, I'll come to the last part of this, uh, this episode. And uh, uh, now in many clinics, hospitals, particularly busy practices, you have uh, counselors in inverted commas uh, who uh, deal with patients, who tell patients about the treatment options, the surgical options, the cost involved, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, as opposed to that, um, in uh, majority of the solo practices, it's the ophthalmologist who examines, also talks to the patient regarding this. Uh, in what way do you think there is a difference in the outcome of this uh, two models, sort of? One in which you have uh, counselors who do uh, the talking part. Uh, so it's like the clinician has outsourced the talking part. And the other is uh, where uh, the clinician himself or herself uh, deals with all the aspects of uh, the treatment or the cost and et cetera involved. Uh, what would you say about this? Uh, this is, I think, a very relevant question. Uh, see, I have worked in all these different sort of setups. And uh, I have spoken to a lot of patients as well. There is something called this, uh, you know, this concept called chair time. Mm. And uh, chair time is the amount of time that uh, we are going to spend with our patients. Mm. Now, the chair time is going to include a lot of things. It can possibly include the introduction, the history taking, the diagnosis, the investigation part, the, you know, talking about the treatment part, the actual writing of the treatment part, and obviously then uh, discussing costs and uh, those aspects of this. Now, I would believe that as clinicians, because uh, of course we are all clinicians and I am even a clinician, I would believe that the most important part of the chair time should be when I'm actually examining the patient and when I'm arriving at the diagnosis. Hmm. But uh, I have spoken to a lot of patients and even I have, exam uh, I have experienced it when I have been uh, the 
relative of a patient or when I have been the patient myself, that from the patient's point of view, perhaps the most important part of the chair time is when he or she is talking to the doctor about the disease. Hmm. So patients would give more uh, importance to that part. And that is where the counseling part becomes important. Now, when we outsource our counseling, when uh, we actually uh, hire people who are going to uh, you know, talk about the various treatment options or give the patient the costs of the various options and things like that, I would personally believe that it should be limited only to that. Mm. that the exact part where the patient is making up the making up his or her mind about which treatment to opt for or which lens exactly to opt for or what are going to be the side effects should be dealt with the doctor himself at least mm. that is what i feel at uh, uh, the current uh, point of time in which we are, at the current point of time in which I am in my practice. Okay. Of course, I may think differently 10 years down the line. And 10 years down the line, we may all be thinking differently. But in the current, uh, in the current scenario, I think the patient lays most importance to that aspect where the doctor uh, you know is talking about uh, the disease and the treatment so i think somewhere even if we outsource the history part of it even if we outsource the basic examination part of it refraction part of it and all this hmm. to more to you know probably equally skilled people it would be okay even if we outsource the you know telling the costs part of uh, it to someone else it would be okay but the exact part where you know the most important part from the patient point of view where you are giving the diagnosis and telling the treatment is something which we should have to ourselves many times I have told patient up in pass jao samaj lo kya kya treatment options hai aur fir batao kya karna they will again come back to you humko sab to samaj gaya lekin aap kya bolte hai wo batai Hmm. That is an important uh, aspect. Here again, there is uh, this one little concept that uh, all doctors should be aware of. And that is something called, uh, you know, a perfect parent uh, sort of uh, status that the patient and relatives give to a doctor. That aap batao, aap sabse important ho. Aap hmm. ko kya lagta hai? At that point of time, one may feel good that we are in that perfect parent uh, sort of a scenario, but one should be very uh, careful of the fact that whatever good happens then is because of you, whatever bad happens may also be because of you. So again, at that point of time, it becomes important to make the patients and relatives equal partners into the counseling process. And that would be a relation between the doctor, the patient and the family. So you wouldn't be able to form that relation with an external counselor. So most times patients are coming to doctors for that conversation. Hmm. So I many times have patients who come with me to report with reports telling 
what do you feel about the disease of course i would tell them that i would have to reexamine the patient and form my own opinion but i think from the patient point of view the most important is the counseling part so i would put it this way that telling the costs informing them about the cost of various lenses or the various treatment options the finance part of it can be outsourced mm-hmm. but the decision making should happen i believe between the doctor and the patient and the family yes and uh, this is one thing which i feel is a missing piece in the jigsaw is uh, incorporating counseling skills in our basic training and i basic training mean mbbs level training because uh, i feel that uh, we are taught all the clinical skills uh, during our mbbs or maybe during our post graduation but i feel uh, this particular aspect uh, counseling or communication with patients is is never 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 told to us and often times students learn by example so you see the student sees the senior or the teacher talking in a particular way to the patients now this often happens in a general hospital where the clinician has to deal with hundreds of patients at a time and obviously no human can uh, can maintain that uh, composure to deal with so many patients so obviously uh, that relationship is a broken relationship and then that student carries that uh, uh, sort of impression in their mind and often neglects this very very crucial aspect uh to their own peril i feel and then one realizes it at a very very late age that this is in fact the most important aspect of uh what we do as clinicians uh you may know a thousand things but if you don't care for your patients if you don't show that uh regard for the patient then i think all that knowledge uh, doesn't uh, weigh that much so this was a very very interesting uh, conversation about a very very important uh, topic uh, which i feel should be part of every uh, undergraduate postgraduate and also fellowship curriculum because we want to have uh, good clinicians clinicians who empathize who understand the patient as a whole uh, at the end of it we are not treating one organ uh it has implications to the patient as a whole to the person as a whole to the personality as a whole not only the person but also the family members uh it it, it impacts them as well it impacts their uh, the financial uh, arrangements that they have and i think that sensitivity has to be uh, brought in uh, in our uh, in, in our demeanor in the way we talk to patients in the way we deal with patients and i thank you sincerely mayur for sparing time on a diwali sunday and uh, talking to us and sharing your valuable thoughts for uh, for this podcast episode i will just end this podcast episode with uh, 3s which i gathered from whatever we spoke about and the 3s are to be sensible to be sensitive and to be sincere so Uh, i would end this podcast episode on this note i wish all the listeners a happy diwali and uh, a prosperous new year and mayur thank you thank you very much for your valuable time thank you so much mandar and uh, i would like to thank uh, maharashtra ophthalmological society mos for this opportunity 
thanks once again and uh, wish everyone a happy diwali thank you and bye bye thank you for listening to the podcast this was a maharashtra ophthalmological society production please send your valuable feedback to paranspeicare@gmail.com do tune in again next time we drop a new episode